0: The doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture is a fundamental tenet of the Christian faith. To say the Scriptures are sufficient is to say the Bible is all we need to equip ourselves for a life of faith and service. It also provides us with a clear message of God's intention to restore a broken relationship between Himself and humanity. And He did this through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His death on the cross and His physical resurrection. Why was this necessary? because of the historical fact of Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden called sin. What this also means is no other writings are necessary for us to understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible alone also provides us with the knowledge of the existence of God and that He is the creator of all things. I want to welcome you to Creation and Training radio, and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. And in this session, we're concluding a far five-part series on evidence for the existence of God. So far, we have gone through the cosmological evidence. We've gone through evidence from design. We've gone through evidence for the existence of moral absolutes, meaning right and wrong. And we've gone through evidence for the existence of non-material entities. In this session, part five, we're going to go through the reality of God's Word. And in this session, we'll go through four parts. Number one, manuscript evidence. Number two, history and archaeology. Number three, evidence from prophecy. And number four, evidence from science. So let's start with manuscript evidence. The Bible is unlike any other book in all of history. It contains 66 books, written over a span of 1,500 years. It was written in three languages on three different continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa, and it was recorded by men from many different professions. For example, Moses was a prince who became a shepherd and a leader. Joshua was a general. Amos, a herdsman. David, a shepherd who became a king. Solomon, a king, Daniel, a government official, Isaiah, a prophet, Luke, a physician, Matthew, a tax collector, Peter and John, fishermen, and Paul, a scholar. And with all those different authors, over 40 different men writing the Bible over a span of 1,500 years, it contains a unified and common theme. And this is an amazing fact. And that unified theme is this. Paradise created, paradise lost, and paradise restored. And it's all about the redemption of sinful men by a gracious and loving God. That is the unified theme of the entire Bible. Now, manuscript evidence. There is more manuscript evidence in existence and better preserved than any other ancient text in history. Today, we have over 24,000 partial and complete manuscript copies of the New Testament in existence. Now, let's take a specific example here from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Floyd Nolan Jones, in his book, Chronology of the Old Testament, writes, The Dead Sea Scrolls of Isaiah agree with the Hebrew Masoretic text." The earliest Masoretic text which we have is dated about 900 AD. Almost no changes have occurred in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, for example, contains only one word of three letters which is in doubt after nearly 1100 years of copying. That is incredible accuracy. Now, throughout history, people have tried to burn the Bible, they have tried to ban the Bible. They have tried to change the Bible. They've even tried to outlaw the Bible. But it is still loved by millions, and it is still studied by millions. It is the greatest history book in all of history, and it continues to change lives. And there's a track record here. For all those people who have tried to ban God's Word, outlaw it, the track record is they are all dead, and God's Word remains unchanged. And God says this about His Word, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. That is the track record. So all those people today that are trying to ban it, change it, or outlaw it, they too will pass away, and God's Word will remain unchanged. Now when we look at the Old Testament. We see that the writers of the Old Testament believe their messages were indeed God breathed, and not from men. More than 400 times, from the book of Exodus to the book of Malachi, the Old Testament writers declared, Thus says the Lord. In other words, they, breathe, they believe that this indeed is God's Word. The New Testament writers also had no doubt that the Old Testament was the Word of God. In addition, Jesus Christ believed the accuracy in, and history of the Old Testament. 11 times Jesus stated, Have ye not read? 30 times Jesus stated, It is written. In each case, he's referring to the historical accuracy of the Old Testament. So that's manuscript evidence. Now let's look at history and archaeology. Now if the Bible is really the Word of God, we would expect it to present accurate and true history. Archaeologists... Dr. Joseph Free writes this, Archaeology has confirmed countless passages which have been rejected by critics as unhistorical or contradictory to known facts. In other words, throughout history, there's been critics of God's Word, of the Bible, and in every time, they have been found out to be wrong. Jewish archaeologist Nelson Gluck used the Bible to help him discover over 1,500 Sites in ancient Israel. And he makes this statement No archaeological discovery has ever been made that contradicts or controverts historical statements in Scripture. Well, let's go to some examples of archaeology in history that we find in the Bible. For many years, scholars taught that the city of Jericho was nothing more than a myth. You can't trust the Bible's history. However, When the city was found, it turned out that all those scholars were again wrong. Archaeologist Bryant Wood makes this statement. The archaeological evidence supports the historical accuracy of the biblical account in every detail. Every aspect of the story that could possibly be verified by the findings of archaeologists is, in fact, verified, even including as we know today, how the walls fell. Again, the critics were wrong, and God's Word remains true. Then we turn to the Genesis Flood. To date, there over 33 separate tablets that talk about a gigantic flood, confirming the accuracy and history of the Genesis Flood. Let's take, for example, what is called the Weld-Blundell Prism. It was found in 1923 in Lower Mesopotamia. It was written about a 100 years before Abraham. And what does it have in there? In there, it mentions a flood that swept over the earth. The tablet contains an outline of the history of the world. And in that outline, it talks about 10 kings who lived before the flood and that they lived to be of old age, hundreds of years old, exactly matching what we find in the Bible. People living to be eight, 900 years old before the flood. Then it lists, kings who lived after the flood. And what it states there is these kings did not live to be of old age. Again, matching what we find in the Bible. The tablets confirming the historical record of David have also been discovered. What we call the Nuzi tablets, which consist of over 20,000 clay tablets discovered in the ruins of Nuzi, east of the Tigris River, and dated to about 15 1800 BC, they reveal institutions, practices and customs, remarkably matching what we find in the Bible for those times. The existence of the Hittites a century ago, a little over a century ago, the Hittites were unknown outside the Old Testament, and critics claim that these were just a figment of biblical imagination. However, in 1906. Ancient worms were discovered confirming the existence of the Hittites. Again, the critics and scholars are wrong. We have the discovery of ancient biblical cities confirming the accuracy of the Bible. In addition to the city of Jericho, such cities as Haran, Hazer, Dan, Megiddo, Samaria, Shiloh, Beth Shemesh, Beth and many other sites and cities have been excavated. Let's talk about the Moabite stone. 2 Kings reports that Misha, the king of Moab, rebelled against the king of Israel following the death of Ahab. However, a three-foot stone called the Moabite stone was discovered in 1868, confirming this revolt. And there are many other examples of historical accuracy that we find from the Bible. The fall of Samaria, written about in 2 Kings to Sargon II the king of Assyria, has now been confirmed by external evidence. Now, I'm not saying we need external evidence to confirm God's word. God's word is sufficient for all we need to know. But however, God did give us a lot of external evidence. We have the defeat of Ashad by Sargon II, written about in Isaiah chapter 20. That has been confirmed by external evidence. The fall of Nineveh, as predicted by the prophets Nahum, and Zephaniah, recorded on the tablet now, we found, called Nebuchadnezzar, that's been confirmed. The fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, recorded in 2 Kings, has been confirmed when the Babylonian chronicles were discovered. Over and over again, people continue to have doubts about God's word not being true. But over and over again, God's word remains 100% accurate. For example, the freeing of the captives in Babylon by Cyrus the Great, written about in Ezra, was confirmed when the Cyrus Cylinder was discovered. Biblical scholar Ron Rhodes writes this, To date, over 25,000 sites in biblical lands have been discovered dating back to Old Testament times, which have established the accuracy of innumerable details in the Bible, No other ancient book can make these kinds of claims. Now let's go to evidence from prophecy, a third point in our argument. See, prophecy makes the Bible unique among all other religious works, including the works of Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, and even the Book of Mormon. In J. Parton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, he lists 1,000 239 prophecies alone in the Old Testament, and he lists 578 prophecies in the New Testament for a total of 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. These encompass 8,352 verses, or about 27% of the Bible is prophecy. Let's talk about just some of the prophecies of Jesus Christ. There are hundreds of prophecies written about Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming. Every one of these prophecies has been confirmed except his second coming, and that, too, will come about. Let's take a couple of examples about the prophecies of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it was prophesied, Jesus would come from the lineage of Abraham. That is true. In Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 and 10, Jesus would come out of the tribe of Judah. 100% accurate. Isaiah chapter 11, Jesus would come from the lineage of Jesse. Jesse, True. Isaiah 7, Jesus would be born of a virgin. Now, that's an amazing prophecy because that had never been done before. And yet, there is prophesied in the Bible. 100% accurate. In the book of Micah chapter 5, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. See, these are not general prophecies like it's going to rain in Seattle next year, folks. These are very specific prophecies. Psalm 22, Jesus would be crucified. Psalm 16, Jesus would be resurrected. Amazing prophecies about Jesus Christ. In the 5th century B.C., Zechariah in in chapter 11 declared that the Messiah would be betrayed for the price of a slave, which happens to be... 30 pieces of silver. 100% accuracy. Almost 400 years before crucifixion was invented, both Israel's kings David and the prophet Zechariah described the Messiah's, Messiah's death in words that perfectly depict crucifixion. The prophet Isaiah in chapters 44 and 45 foretold that a conqueror named Cyrus would destroy Babylon, which then was considered indestructible. Isaiah made this prophecy 150 years before Cyrus was even born. Amazing prophecies in the Bible. And there's even an amazing prophecy in the Bible for today. It comes in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, and it reads this way. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an excellent description of what is happening in society today. We see it in the media, people doubting God's word, ridiculing God's word in favor of something called evolutionism. We see it in our public schools and universities, denying a creator God, ridiculing anybody who believes in a creator God. That prediction in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 is 100% accurate for today. People will turn to fables and itching ears for whatever they want to hear except God's Word. And now let's go to evidence number four, science. The Bible is not a science textbook and we're glad about that because our science textbooks continually change because of errors and new discoveries. But the Bible does reveal an awful lot about science. Let's go through just some of these examples. And we'll start in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 22. It talks about the earth as a sphere. And it states, It is he who sits upon the circle of the earth. And that Hebrew word there can also mean sphere. In other words, almost 3,000 years ago, the Bible taught the earth was round. Long before we had all this modern astronomy and astronauts. Incredible accuracy right there. See, the Bible never taught the earth was flat. That is a misnomer that's been going around. It is humans that think that, not God's Word. Jeremiah 33, verse 22, we see another account of astronomy. As the Bible states, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered. Almost 3,000 years ago, the Bible was teaching the stars are too numerous to count. And that is exactly right. The astrophysicists estimate there are quintillions of stars in this universe. If you counted a star every second for 100 years, you wouldn't even come close, folks. The Bible was right. The stars are too numerous to count. Then we have Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, talking about medical cleanliness and sanitation. Many lives could have been saved if they read and believed the Bible about cleanliness and sanitation. Leviticus 18, a law against marrying your close relation. In other words, it wasn't man that said, we can't marry your brother or sister or close relation first. It was God's Word that tried to protect us from incest. Then we turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 22. We see a little bit of physics in the Bible. And it states this, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Ladies and gentlemen, That is a general description of the second law of thermodynamics almost 2,000 years before our scientists discovered it. That the entire universe is in decay. The entire universe is wearing down. And there it is in the Bible 2,000 years ago. We also have in Genesis chapter 1, biology, that everything is created after its kind. Yes, we can vary within kind, but one kind cannot become another kind. But people say, oh, Mike, but what about evolution? Folks, evolution cannot happen. All we can have is variety within kind, and that is not evolution. See, all we observe are fish evolving into fish. No change. Bacteria evolving into bacteria. Dogs producing dogs. Cats producing cats. Cows producing cows. Folks, the observational evidence, the highest form of science we have, shows that everything produces after its kind, and evolution simply cannot be true. Then in Genesis chapter 6, we have stable shipbuilding. For example, the dimensions given to Noah to build the ark happened to be perfect dimensions for floating, a six-to-one length-to-width ratio. There it is in the Bible, thousands of years ago, perfect dimension for a ship for floating. Job chapter 38 verse 16 talks about springs in the deep oceans. That wasn't discovered until recently that there were springs in the oceans. Genesis 1 talks about the origin of life. That is the only known way life could have gotten here. I know we've had experiments for years and decades of how that first cell could have gotten here, how life originated. Did you know after decades of experiments and research, Our best scientists in the world cannot even produce one single biological protein. We're not even close, folks. We we don't even have to talk about DNA and RNA, all the other components of a cell. Our best scientists can't even get a single protein. Psalm 8, verse 8, prediction of ocean currents. We read this in that verse. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Matthew Murray, who is considered the Father of oceanography, after reading Psalm 8, researched and discovered ocean currents that follow in specific paths throughout the sea. It was because of the Bible that ocean currents were discovered. We also see in Genesis 11 the origin of languages, very complex languages from the very beginning. Genesis 1, the origin of dinosaurs. On day six, God created the land animals, and dinosaurs. I've been to museums all over this planet, and all I see are dinosaurs. Folks, if dinosaurs did evolve from some other creature, there's to be thousands of intermediate forms, but not one of them is really on display in any museum on this planet. All we have are pictures drawn by artists. And then Genesis 1, the origin of stars. Yes, on day four. God made the stars. And I know I read in the textbooks there's new stars are forming all the time. Folks, there's a simple term for that, and that's called baloney. We need to get back to real, accurate science. No one has ever seen a star form, and we know, and these physicists know, that based on the principles of physics, stars will not form naturally. But yet, they continue to teach false information about stars originating by natural processes. It has never, ever been observed. Genesis 7, 8, the fossil record. See, the best explanation for the fossil record is the worldwide flood. Because what do we find all over this world? Fossil graveyards. Graveyards, we find hundreds and thousands of fossils from different ecological zones, all buried in sediments laid down by water. We find seashells on the top of the highest mountains in the world. And we also find many out-of-place fossils, which would be the result of a worldwide flood and not long, slow processes. Genesis 3 and Romans 6.23 talk about death and why we die. We read this in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, we have death because of sin. Then in 1 Timothy 6.20 and 2 Timothy 4.3 again, we have a warning against false prophecies and false doctrines. Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and the idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And then we read this all again in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. It's such an important scripture, I want to make sure we hear it again. And it states, For the time will come when they not endure sound doctrine, But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Both those two verses are clear scriptures talking about the false doctrine of evolutionism. Now, we've just touched on some evidence for the reliability of the Bible. There are whole books about each subject we've covered here. Many, many books out there. So, we've covered manuscript evidence, which is good evidence of the truth of God's Word, the history and archaeology, good evidence for the truth of God's Word, prophecy, good evidence for the truth of God's Word, and the evidence for science. Any one of these is powerful evidence of the testimony of the truthfulness of the Bible. But taken all together, there is no doubt that the Bible is indeed the true. Word of God, and no other book in the universe can compare to it. Well, this concludes our five-part series on the evidence for the existence of God. We have now gone through cosmological evidence, evidence from design, evidence from the existence of moral absolutes, right and wrong, evidence from the existence of non-material entities, and the reality of God's Word. All five of these combine Give us powerful evidence of a greater God and point to what God's Word has to say in Romans 1.20, where it states, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And now I'll leave you with this final passage, a psalm of thanksgiving and praise our Creator, and it comes from Psalm 100, and it reads, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Thank you and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15 but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.